It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. And so uh, this particular life lesson is called Don't Ever Read Your Press Clippings. That's just what I call this. And that's actually a quote from my life for many years. Uh, It stems back to, oh, I don't know, it must have been 12 to 14 years ago, somewhere in that range of time. I had decided somewhere along the line that it was probably unwise to Google search myself. You know, when that came out, the advent of, like, your name could be on Google, right? And so I began to think that maybe it would be unwise to do things like that. And there's another dimension because things like book reviews. And I had restrained and refrained from uh, reading the reviews of of our books. And I was on Amazon once, and I was in the author portal. uh, And so we had multiple books up there, and there was something that triggered us like, well, I mean, I could could just read uh, this. And so I clicked, and I violated a code that I knew, uh, and no one had ever taught it to me. I just sort of had this thought that, you know, maybe it wouldn't be wise. And sure enough, I would conclude afterwards, it was not a wise thing to do, you know, because I I read a few five stars and was feeling pretty good. You know, these people really enjoyed the book. And then someone dumped me a one star. And uh, and why I read the one star, but it just made me mad. And uh, a one star review, it's like, excuse me, uh, but I know it was intelligent at some level. This person was... uh, critiquing and criticizing it, saying that I, I wasn't of the sort of the postmodern uh, variety of authors that they prefer that actually have a brain, and that this Ludi character uh, was truly lacking any intelligence. I don't know where he came from, but everything he says in all of his books is the exact same. I could even predict it before he writes it. He's going to say that you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And I just took offense to that. It's like, excuse me, but each of my books is unique. Each of my books is creative. I mean, I, I put a brain into it. And so I felt slighted by this uh, critique. And I was just sort of stewing at it, uh, over it. You know, you know that you shouldn't have read the crazy thing, but then after you read it, it's just sort of haunting you over your shoulder, just sort of saying the words, the quotes to you over and over again. Just like if it's in a movie, you know how they repeat lines and someone relives a quote? Yeah, that's what it was for me. I was reliving this quote. This guy's an idiot. And so I was writing the foreword for one of my books at the time. I think it was Wrestling Prayer. And... You know, I have a vocabulary that I hold back on when I write, uh, and because I want people to understand my writing. So I was going to prove that I had a brain. And so I wrote this spectacular foreword. I mean, it was so heady and (laughs) high-minded. And my editor, who's a very sharp character, uh, got back with me, and he's like, "Uh, Eric, I'm I'm not exactly sure what you're trying to accomplish in this forward. I needed to whip out a dictionary to understand what you were saying. And I was thinking, yeah. Now, see, that, that's Eric Ludi at his best. And Leslie then read it, and she's like, what is this? It's like, well, I, I'm just, it's like, what? And this other guy, they're both confirmed, we're on the conference call together, like, Eric, this doesn't work. I don't know what you're trying to, who are you talking to here? And what I wanted to say, even though I didn't want to say it out loud, is there's a reviewer on Amazon that I'm writing this forward for. I mean, how ridiculous is that? So you have to be watchful, guys. If you read your press clippings, one of two things is going to happen. 
Okay, so the two options with press clippings. They are glowing and you're baited towards pride. There's really no benefit to having someone laud and applaud you all day long. It actually doesn't help you, okay? I know it seems like it would because you go, oh, no, I just need the encouragement. Well, there are means of encouragement, but I would not go to press clippings to find it, okay? The second one is your press clippings could be terrible and you are baited toward discouragement or, in my case, frustration, anger, and revenge, okay? There's different things that happen inside of us, and that's why we need to be guarded and watchful. Now, I'm calling this don't ever read your press clippings technically the theme that I'm going to bring out as my life lesson is a little deeper than that. It's a little deeper than just not reading press clippings. It's discretion. The principle of discretion in my life has been a very critical one to understand that there are times when you need to refrain. There's times when you need to not listen to things, not look at things. And the idea of discretion is, I would say, one of the most, uh, one of the key lost truths in Christianity today. It's had a significant impact on my life. There are moments where it is actually better not to speak, even though what you would speak would be true. It's actually better to be discreet. You may have a truth, but that doesn't mean you should let it fly. You may have a thought, but that doesn't mean you should speak it. There is something about discretion that is very, very significant and important in the development of the Christian life. So I'm going to give a... <clears throat> It's sort of an 1828 Webster's Dictionary definition. I shortened it a little. It was quite elaborate and used a lot of big words. Remember, I'm trying to refrain now uh, from using big words because that, that backfired on me. Uh, discretion, actually the basic construct of discretion is the word separation. It's actually a, a, a synonym to that, but that wouldn't be, in my mind, what it would mean. So when I think of discretion, I would think more of refraining then I would think of separation, but it's interesting because it's, discretion means to separate from something like, oh, I shouldn't do that, I'm gonna separate from that. Oh, that's a behavior I'm not going to associate with. So it's a discreet person is to remove themselves from certain behaviors, from certain environments, and so that's discretion. Here's the definition though. Discernment to judge critically as to what is correct and proper, united with caution. So a discreet person has caution as a guard. In other words, they don't presume that everything's fine. They actually start with a discernment to say, well, what would be appropriate and proper in this situation? And I can't tell you how many times I've been in conversations where my brain is working 1,000 miles an hour as I'm listening to someone talk. And I'm thinking, how am I going to say this? And again, that's the same process here. In other words, sometimes I shouldn't say anything. And I'm actually asking God the entire while. I don't know if you've ever been in conversations like that where the whole while you're talking to God going, God, I need help right now. This is going to be a doozy. I'm not sure what I'm going to say, but I know I need to say something. But how I say it is of the utmost importance, and what I say is of the utmost importance. So, God, lead me. And so what I'm actually asking for is discretion. God, hold me back where I need to be held back. Push me forward where I need to be pushed forward cause me to be steered through this landmine, this uh, series of landmines, unto a healthy, glorifying end. So discernment to judge critically as to what is correct and proper, united with caution. Prudence. That's a word we don't use uh, very often today, but that's actually the essence, the heartbeat of discretion is to be prudent in your decisions, which means wise, circumspect, you recognize that there are landmines out there. Most people don't know that there are landmines out there. And so as a result, they step on them. 
But a discreet or a prudent person actually recognizes, okay, I see that there are danger points. I'm going to steer around those. Keen decision-making directed by circumspection, which is to actually see, like circumference, is to see that which is around you and what is affected by your decisions, and primarily regarding one's own conduct. So discretion typically just refers to an individual. You're not usually, usually applying it to like the church is a discreet church. Does that make sense? It's usually a personal attribute, not a group attribute, even though I'm sure it could be. It's just primarily used that way. There is a word in the... Hebrew, a lot of the Hebrew language is associated with the body, which is fascinating to think about, like a forehead. That means resolution or resolve, and so uh, the forehead of flint, and the backbone, uh, the knees, feeble knees, ankles, uh, but there's all sorts of things that Paul describes even on the inside, loins, uh, and gird up your loins, the bowels of mercy, all these very awkward ones too. And uh, Yet there's one word which is uh, in the Hebrew, aharith, and that means the back. And it's interesting because the way the Proverbs use the word aharith is that a fool does not recognize the back side of the matter. A fool is focused on one thing. There is a way that seems right to that man, but it leads to death because he doesn't see what follows. He doesn't see the back side. He is not circumspect. He is not discreet in how he is living. And as a result, he will move forward thinking that the adulterous woman, this sounds like a wonderful idea, but he doesn't realize that it leads him to the stalks. And like a lamb unto slaughter, he's not going to be doing so well. And so as a result, when you lose that circumspection, when you lose the fact that everything you're doing is in a context, is in an environment, and it affects different people. One of the things that Les and I used to always teach, I mean, it's not that we don't teach it now, it's just that we don't travel the world and speak on relationships like we used to. But one of the key principles that we used to teach was faithfulness. And we said that, you know, how many of you want to be faithful to your spouse when you get married? And it's like sort of a rhetorical question. Of course, everyone wants, no, no one sets out to be a bad spouse. It's like, yeah, I'd like to cheat on my future spouse. You know, they, no one sets out with that as the agenda, and yet most people prepare for it. In other words, they're preparing to be unfaithful because they're living unfaithful before they get married. In other words, they're not living with fidelity and focus on one person. They're actually sort of playing the field. Well, if you're, if you're behaving in that way before you get married, well, then you're setting a pattern. You're setting a tone. You're setting a mold for the way that you will live and behave. And so when you live with faithfulness, you begin to consider someone else's thoughts you begin to consider someone else's highest good. So just imagine, I'm a single guy, okay? I'm not, but imagine for a second, I'm a single guy, and there's this girl named Leslie out there, and I've never met Leslie. So how could I live in such a way that Leslie would be honored? Well, I begin to think as if Leslie's real. That helps. I begin to think as if Leslie cares, that she feels something about the way I live. Does she? I mean, you could answer. There's some uh, single women in here. You guys could say, does it matter what your future husband is doing right now, or should he just throw all caution and discretion to the wind and live however he so chooses? Or would it mean something if he lived circumspectly with you in view? So he considered what you would think. I remember Leslie, before we were married, uh, she said these words. I wish you'd never had a thought for another girl in your life. And my first thought 
was, that is ridiculous. How in the world could that work? But my second thought was this, even though I did have that thought. It's like, that's impossible. But you know what I desired? I wished I could relive my life just for her. I wish I could, if that's what she desired, I want to live that way for. I don't want to have to acknowledge that, yeah, I've had all sorts of thoughts for other girls other than you. I wish I didn't have to say that. You see, there is something of value that takes place when we begin to live as if our life impacts others. A rock falls into the water, and what does it do? It creates a ripple effect. Our lives and decisions create ripples. And so therefore, discretion is an operation of, yes, discernment, yes, prudence, but also love. In other words, we are recognizing that the way we live and the things we focus on, the things we speak, the things we do, actually impact our life. And so I read my press clippings, and what does it end up affecting? Well, it affects my book, it affects my editor, it affects Leslie, and I'm glad it stopped there. It could have continued, but I had to rewrite it. But the point is, we have a lot of things that actually ripple into others' lives. The fool does not see the backside of the matter. A fool does not recognize that when he lives this way, it is creating a ripple and affecting everyone around him. A fool, for whatever reason, doesn't see it, but a wise man does. And wisdom is the essence of discretion. Discretion is moved by wisdom. Wisdom is the operative concept behind it. Because when you have wisdom and when you live with wisdom, you are considering the fact that you are in an environment, you are in a context, the words you're going to speak will impact the world around you, the actions you're going to make will in fact impact not just you, but your spouse, your future children, the world around you. It's an amazing thought. And I would say, and when you're talking about pre-marriage relationships, it becomes pretty clear. It's like, okay, so the way I'm living now is actually going to affect my children's children's children. That's right. So when you recognize context, you recognize the need for this life lesson. I need to walk with discretion. I need to live circumspectly, seeing the circumference of my life, recognizing that there is a ripple effect that is taking place in my life. So Acts 17.11, you see the Bereans... And many of us know this. I mean, just being around Ellerslie, we talk about the Bereans a lot. We esteem the Bereans. Why? Well, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they did something. When they heard Paul speak, they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. In other words, they actually measured what was taking place. They didn't just take it in. They tested. They measured. And so discretion, in a nutshell, is testing the winds. It's saying, okay, is this, is this a good thing or a bad thing? It's discernment of every situation. So it's interesting, but when I'm in that conversation with that maybe that difficult person, and they're saying some things, and I'm like, ah, great, I'm going to need to speak on this. I need wisdom. I need discernment. I need discretion. I need to know what to speak and what not to speak. Because when you're dealing with a live bomb, have you ever seen those action movies where someone needs to defuse the bomb and turn it off? It's like five, four, three, and then they like pull the cord. You're like, oh no, and then it doesn't go off. Wouldn't that be terrible if it then goes off? It's like, what a terrible ending to the movie. And so it's almost, I mean, how do they always figure it out right at the end? Always at one, too. Have you ever noticed that? It's always when it's one about to turn zero, and then they cut something, snip it, or pull it out. And so you need discernment. You need discretion. You know what to do and what not to do. 
Which cord to cut, which one not to cut? Which word to speak, which word not to speak? Which word to heed and listen to, which one not to? It's interesting because all of these things, inputs and outputs, need discretion. You need a filter of wisdom because it's not just what you give and what you do, it's also what you receive. Because there's a whole bunch of things screaming out there in this world attempting to input into your life. And you need discretion to recognize if that should come in or it shouldn't. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So even the function of the church, you'll recognize that there needs to be a discretion which we would typically refer to as discernment in this concept. But the idea of discernment and the idea of discretion, the idea of circumspection, the idea of wisdom, all of these are working together to function in us to say, all right, Eric has some press clippings. Should he read them? I think it would be wise to avoid those press clippings, Eric. Okay, but that's, there's so many different areas in our life which the same thing would apply. And maybe you don't have any press clippings, but there is a propensity, a bait, to say, maybe I should try that. Maybe I should push this button. And God is wanting us to walk wisely, understanding the backside of the matter. The fool doesn't know the aharith. The Christian does. God makes it very clear. You walk in this direction, you will receive the reward. You walk in this direction, you will receive punishment. So we do know the backside of the matter. Let's walk with wisdom. Casper's suitcase, a great picture of discretion. Many of you have heard me share the story. I, I love this story. And typically this, this story will come into when I teach on like the principle of no. Uh, that, that is a, a key story I will always use uh, because what you see in this story is a father that basically says no to his daughter. And, she's, and he's, he's a father that will answer any question his daughter asks. And then he, she asks one question and he basically says, no, I'll, I'll share the story. So Casper Tenboom, one of my, I, I love Casper Tenboom. He's just such a fascinating guy. And so Corey Tenboom is the one that wrote all the books, The Hiding Place, Tramp for the Lord. And so she's well known, but she would give all the credit for her life and her foundation to her parents. And specifically the one that she has a, such a fondness for is the way she speaks of her father. And I love just hearing her speak of her father. But uh, so Corey Tenboom, when she was just a little girl, and I don't remember how old she was, if she's like 10 in this story, somewhere in that range. But uh, her dad was a watchmaker, uh, and he used to carry this uh, suitcase full of watch parts. It was actually rather heavy. It was just full of all sorts of metallic things in there. And they would get on a train, and they would go to different places and uh, to fix watches and to, uh, to deal with the watch world. I'm not exactly sure all that they did. And uh, so they were on a train uh, one day when uh, Corey was around 10. And there were some uh, young kids, you know, probably teenagers sitting nearby that were uh, speaking about things that were inappropriate to be speaking about with a 10-year-old there. And it was, they were using some rather salty, inappropriate language. And so Corey was just listening, and uh, then she turned to her father and she said, Papa, what does rant, rant, rant mean? And Casper uh, Tenboom, according to Corey, always would answer questions. So she, he loved to teach his daughter. And so uh, in this situation, she wanted to know what ah, 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 ah means. Uh, and obviously, that's a placeholder. If you're wondering, uh, you're like, what word is that? I, can I look that up in the dictionary? That's a placeholder for whatever. Because I don't even think she said it in, in the story. And her dad didn't say anything. And he just... Uh, 
continued to sit there in the train, and Corey was a little mystified. like, did he not hear me? And so when they were getting up to leave the train, uh, he said, oh, and Corey, could you carry my suitcase for me? And uh, Corey was like, okay, Papa, and she couldn't lift it. And she goes, Papa, I, I can't lift it. And he, he agreed, he understood, and he said, and the same is true with uh, what you just asked of Papa. There are certain things that you need to recognize that Papa needs to carry for you in this time and that it is uh, unwise for me to answer. Uh, but in due time, I'll be able to. And so it's a trust issue. There are certain things, and, and that's a discretion issue. As a father, I feel that one. See, when I hear that story, I don't look at it from Corey's vantage point, even though I could as a Christian, because that's, that was, that's the whole point of me telling the story, is that's how God works with us. There's certain things where like, why God, why? He says, oh, little one, that's too heavy for you to carry right now. Would you let, would you let your Father in heaven carry that for you right now until I know that you're ready to, to understand it? You see, discretion is a very, very significant thing as a parent Oh, wow, the tension is great in trying to figure out, okay, when is it appropriate to share this with my child? When is it right to say this? What is right to say? What is not right? For instance, you're having a conversation with your spouse, and your children are there, and there's a time when you should say, children, I need you to go into the other room. Why? It's like, is it going to harm them? Well, it's, there's a wisdom that is being applied. It's a discretion. It's saying, you know, this isn't, well, if it's okay for you and daddy to talk about or you and mama to talk about, why isn't it okay for us to hear? It's like, well, that sounds like a fair question, but that's where the parent comes in with discretion. There is a means and a right way of doing everything, and we need wisdom to know how to apply it. Discretion. So here's a sub-idea from it. Knowing when to speak and when to hold your tongue. So this is probably the most common understanding of discretion that I would say that we use today in the English language. When someone is a discreet person, that means you can entrust them with a secret and they're not going to share it. That would be our typical understanding of discretion. And I think it's a good one. However, there's a more expansive understanding that I'm wanting you to catch and it's more of a spiritual principle. And that is, it's the application of wisdom to every circumstance. Not just what you speak, but what you do. There's a discretion in your actions, too. There's a discretion in where you are at. In other words, if you're in that environment, it might not be the best idea. And so to be there is lacking discretion. And you probably would be better not being in that place. You shouldn't watch that movie. That would be an action of discretion, to not receive an input that actually could be unhealthy. So handling input and counsel. This has been one of the key things, I would say, in my life and my development because as a young man, there's one thing that I truly desire, and this is a deep desire in me, and that is I desire to be humble in my disposition towards the kingdom of heaven, towards others around me, and I have the propensity, just like anyone else, to not be humble. And it's a vulnerability that is innate to humanity to think more highly of yourself or to bristle at the fact of someone correcting you. Okay? These are things, so I've noticed that from a young age. And so I recognize that I want to receive rebuke. I want to receive correction. I want to say thank you for that. This is what I teach my kids, right? And so I want to be that way. And so here's where the, the dicey side of this comes in. What if someone comes to me and corrects me, but is correcting me with something that's not true? I, you know how many times I've had this? How many people do not like Eric Ludi and actually give me pieces of quote-unquote wisdom that would actually cause me to shut down my ministry. 
that would cause me to keep my mouth shut and no longer say anything about the truth of Jesus Christ. Well, this is a hard one for me because I want to be humble and to receive correction and input. But what if the correction and the input is bad? Okay, this is another dimension of discretion. Of course, we would call it typically in our circles discernment. But the idea is, it's the same concept of discretion. It's making a judgment. It's making a decision of what is correct and proper in each situation. So would it be appropriate for me to listen to that? Because you can hear something with your ears and be very pleasant and say, well, thank you. But that doesn't mean you receive it like a sponge. Okay, so as a Christian, it is necessary to be like the Bereans and to test everything against Scripture and to be, as 1 John describes it, one that tests every spirit because there are false prophets out there which are obviously speaking, oftentimes even in the name of God, but they are speaking something that is not true. So we need to learn to respond in accordance with God's pattern. This is a tricky one. And I've had many moments where I've struggled and you know, I've had, maybe Leslie will say something like, that isn't even true that someone said to us, right? I'd be like, well, I just want to be humble and I want to be able to receive that which God wants to say to me. So if he's wanting to correct me through this donkey, I just want to be correctable through this donkey. And yet, this, and so this is why I'm saying this is a life lesson. In so many regards, everything I'm sharing with you is like key stuff for me. How do I handle this? How do I remain humble at the same time, respond to someone who might not be speaking truth to me. So here's another definition for discretion. It's like a sub-definition. Knowing when to listen to the wisdom of others and when to turn a deaf ear. I know, this is going to sound terrible at first, but you know that I've turned a deaf ear to people's comments in my life? It's the equivalent of not reading your press clippings. I could read that one-star review and it could really mess me up. And there is a time in the same way when someone could speak right to my face, but I don't read the review. I don't take it in and process it. I don't absorb it like a sponge. It's water off a duck's back. So as a result, I can hear it and I can be gracious, but I, I'm testing the spirit of it at the very beginning. You know, there's a scripture, a passage in the New Testament, it's in the book of James, which actually gives us a test for wisdom. So we can discern whether it is from above or whether it is from below. So James 3, 13 through 17. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and discreet among you? Who is circumspect among you? Who is watchful and understanding and reasoning with God's truth? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the, in the meekness of wisdom. Isn't that an amazing statement? And the meekness, which is the meekness is like this idea of a stallion being brought to harness. And so in the meekness of wisdom, wisdom is going to govern the tongue, the eyes, the attitudes, the actions, the movements, the inputs, and the, what we receive. Let it be proven that he shows by good conduct that it works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So there are two sorts of wisdom. 
And this is important for you as you navigate forward in your life because as you stand for the truth, there will be a backlash. It's interesting, but when you keep your mouth shut, most people don't care about your opinion on anything. It's when you begin to speak, and if you speak boldly, there is a whole sector of society that suddenly notates you and doesn't like you. I've always said, it's, it's the presidential principle. Okay, Bill Clinton, if, you never had, uh, if he never became president, most of us would never know who he was, right? And we would not have an opinion about him. We would not have an opinion about his politics, his, his behavior, his morality. But once he became president, half the country immediately hated him. Isn't that a fascinating statement? The same is true. It's just the presidential principle, okay? No matter who you are, no matter what your views are, the moment you take a public stand is the moment that probably around half of the culture at least hates you and wants you dead. <laughs> now, it's a very unhealthy thing for any of us to want anyone dead, okay? But in essence, when someone becomes a politician or a public figure, they are dehumanized, and so we feel totally free to throw pot shots at them as if they don't actually live. They're not a real person. If they were standing in front of you, I would hope that you would not speak the same way. So uh, this, is, this is a side point, but we should always behave towards our public leaders as if they were standing right in front of us. And if we wouldn't speak that way to their face, then don't speak that way behind their back. Simple rule of thumb, but it's not going to fall into my life lesson today. So there's two sorts of wisdom from, from below and from above. So I'm going to break out. From below, it says that it's marked by bitter envy, self-seeking, it's earthy, sensual, demonic, and it leads to confusion and evil. Okay, now, I'm just going to tell you right now, stay away from that stuff. And when it comes, which it will, wisdom from below will come. And here's what's interesting. It can come from us in here. We can give bad wisdom out of emotion, okay? Like, stay away from that. Oh, don't do that. You can do things. Even as a parent, you could have your moment of giving some bad wisdom because you're frustrated. You're upset about something. You just had a bad turn, and you didn't respond to it well. In other words, we can work from the flesh very quickly and give bad input into our children's lives, okay? In other words, this can happen from people that are close to us, too. And it does not mean that you look at them and spit in their face and say, that's bad wisdom, that's sensual and earthy and devilish. Jesus did say, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, but I, I don't know that that's always the best modus operandi for dealing with your family, even though there, it would feel fun at, at times to do that. Uh, but long and short, it can come from within our own ranks, but oftentimes it will come from those that are tactically desiring to slow you down. They are threatened by what you represent. And they don't even recognize that. Okay, but there are going to be people because of your stand, because of your desire to follow Jesus, will feel convicted. And they don't understand conviction, they just are uncomfortable around you. And so they sort of get mad at you and they will give you a piece of advice. Because they recognize that if they don't like you, there's probably other people that won't like you. And if you want to be a likable person, you should listen to them. Let me give you a few pointers of how to be more likable. And so as you navigate through this life, you're going to run into wisdom that comes from below. And a lot of it. Knowing how to respond to that becomes very, very significant in your life. And this is an action of discretion. There's a lot of press clippings out there to read, guys. And it's a button away. 
All you need to do is press open and boom, you have all sorts of input. And so to know how to navigate through press clippings without letting them absorb into you is an art form. But it starts with this, with discretion, to say, God, I want the ability to discriminate between proper and right and evil and wrong. I need the ability to discern in these situations so that I know what to speak, what not to speak, what to listen to, what not to listen to, where to go, where not to go. And this is part of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be led of the Holy Spirit, and to be submitted to the Holy Spirit throughout every day. So from above, it's marked by purity, peace, gentleness, yieldedness, mercy, good fruits. It's absent of partiality and hypocrisy. I have been rebuked and corrected in a beautiful way many times in my life. Sounds terrible, doesn't it, to say that I've needed to be rebuked? But we all do at different times, and Leslie is really good at it, okay? I've been rebuked by Leslie a few times in, in our marriage, and I, I genuinely appreciate it. You know, it's like, how about this? This, this is a sample. Uh, Eric, I feel like the way you just spoke to one of my children, right, was too harsh. I, I think you broke their spirit with that. I know you probably meant it to just be a good correction, and I know that what they did was wrong, but I feel like you overdid it. So how, what am I receiving? Am I receiving some bitter envy, some self-seeking? Is it earthy, sensual, demonic? Is it leading to confusion? Even though it's leading to great clarity. I'm feeling it very sharply. I'm seeing it and I feel it and I resonate with it. Like the Berean church, I'm testing it and guess what? It's right. And so I'm testing the spirit, I'm listening and I'm, I'm receiving it. And so what, I, I'm crestfallen and I'm convicted. And what's the first thing I wanna do? What's discretion in that? I know what to speak. I need to go immediately to that situation and make it right. And so that's actually discretion. My discretion in that situation is I need to speak. I, I lacked discretion in how I spoke earlier, and I need to correct that by speaking what I should. I should correct the situation. It's healthy input into my life. I had another situation. Remember uh, the, the mouse in Narnia? What's that little guy's name? Reaper Cheap? Yeah, I like that character. Reaper Cheap. If it was in real life and we had that critter running around in here, that would, I'd, be, I'd love to see how the ladies responded to that. But uh, he's really cute in the, in the Narnian Chronicles. And so Reepicheep, at the end of one of them, I, I don't remember which one it was. Remember he loses his tail? And he's humiliated because he's lost his tail. That's part of his dignity and his honor. And Aslan says something like, you consider you, uh, your honor too highly, or something like that. And... Boy, I, even that line, I felt like God was speaking to me because honor has always been a very significant thing in my life and there's situations I cannot do that because of honor. And you know, Alexander Hamilton died because of honor. He had a, what, a, uh, what do you call those where you stand with two guns and then poof, uh, what, a duel, yes. He had a duel with uh, Aaron Burr and he died because of honor and come on. Uh, honor is a wonderful thing. But you can overplay anything. And I had a, uh, a leader in my life at one point in time basically come up to me and say, Eric, I appreciate the fact that you really value honor. But I feel like you are actually diminishing some other key attributes of Christ in your attempt to keep honor in this situation. Just wanted to say that to you. 
Whoa. I had to admit, it didn't come with bitter envy, self-seeking. It wasn't earthly, sensual, or demonic, and it didn't lead to confusion and evil. It led to great clarity in my life. It was a very specific situation that I was struggling through, and it's like that's what I needed. I needed that wisdom, and it came from above to me through someone who was humble in that situation to deliver to me something with love. You see, it's hard when we are asked to speak into someone's life to say something like that, but that's part of discretion as well. There's a time when you shouldn't speak. You may see something, but it's not your place to speak. There's another time when you see something and it is your place to speak, and usually you don't want to speak in those moments. If you ever want to speak, usually you probably shouldn't. And if you really uh, don't want to speak, you probably should. And it's not a rule of thumb straight across the board because there's sometimes I really want to speak and I should speak, right? If, you ever, if you're a preacher, you know that feeling. It's like, oh, I really want to share this truth. Like, you get me to the message of canon. Oh, I love to share canon. So it's not just true that if I really want to speak, I shouldn't. But in a general sense, when you're dealing with the issues of discretion, there are moments where you really want to rebuke someone. You want to just throw them under the bus. You want to just criticize them, give them a piece of your mind. You should probably keep your tongue silent in those situations. And there's other times where God is stirring inside of you to speak something, and you're like, oh, oh God, I can't say that. And oftentimes there's something very valuable in those moments. Again, that's discretion, to not speak, but also to speak. You're judging what is proper and right in each circumstance. Father, I just ask that you would train our souls to discern to judge what is right in each circumstance, what to speak, what not to speak, what to do, what not to do, what to receive, what not to receive. Lord, I pray that you would sharpen us, that we would not be as the fool, but that we would be as the wise man, and that we would learn to discern, as the Berean church did, how to approve that which is spoken against the word of God, how to test it, test everything. Lord, you have given us what we need to be able to Make right decision in accordance with your word and your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that tremendous gift. We love you. We submit to you today asking that you would live in us and through us for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.